Chapter Six of The Girl from Montana by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: A Christian Endeavor Meeting in the Wilderness. He stepped boldly around the green barrier, and his first glance told him she was lying there still asleep. But the consciousness of another presence held him from going away. There coiled on the ground with venomous fangs extended and eyes glittering like slimy jewels was a rattlesnake close beside her for a second he gazed with a kind of fascinated horror and his brain refused to act then he knew he must do something and at once he had read of serpents and travellers encounters with them but no memory of what was to be done under such circumstances came shoot he dared not he would be more likely to kill the girl than the serpent, and in any event would precipitate the calamity. Neither was there any way to awaken the girl and drag her from peril, for the slightest movement upon her part would bring the poisoned fangs upon her. He cast his eyes about for some weapon, but there was not a stick or a stone in sight. He was a good golf player. If he had a loaded stick, he could easily take the serpent's head off, he thought, but there was no stick. There was only one hope, he felt, and that would be to attract the creature to himself, and he hardly dared move, lest the fascinated gaze should close upon the victim, as she lay there sweetly sleeping, unaware of her new peril. Suddenly he knew what to do. Silently he stepped back out of sight, tore off his coat, and then cautiously approached the snake again, holding the coat up before him. There was an instant's pause when he calculated whether the coat could drop between the snake and the smooth brown arm in front before the terrible fangs would get there. And then the coat dropped, the man bravely holding one end of it as a wall between the serpent and the girl, crying to her in an agony of frenzy to awaken and run. There was a terrible moment in which he realized that the girl was saved and he himself was in peril of death while he held to the coat till the girl was on her feet in safety. Then he saw the writhing coil at his feet turn and fasten its eyes of fury upon him. He was conscious of being uncertain whether his fingers could let go the coat, and whether his trembling knees could carry him away before the serpent struck. Then it was all over, and he and the girl were standing outside the sagebrush, with the sound of the pistol dying away among the echoes, and the fine ache of his arm where her fingers had grasped him to drag him from danger. The serpent was dead. She had shot it. She took that as coolly as she had taken the bird in its flight. But she stood looking at him with great eyes of gratitude, and he looked at her amazed that they were both alive and scarcely understanding all that had happened. The girl broke the stillness. "'You are what they call a tenderfoot,' she said significantly." yes he assented humbly i guess i am i couldn't have shot it to save anybody's life you are a tenderfoot and you couldn't shoot she continued eulogistically as if it were necessary to have it all stated plainly but you you are what my brother used to call a white man you couldn't shoot but you could risk your life and hold that coat and look death in the face you are no tenderfoot there was eloquence in her eyes, and in her voice there were tears. She turned away to hide if any were in her eyes, but the man put out his hand on her sure little brown one 
and took it firmly in his own, looking down upon her with his own eyes filled with tears, of which he was not ashamed. "'And what am I to say to you for saving my life?' he said. "'I? Oh, that was easy,' said the girl, rousing to the commonplace. "'I can always shoot. Only you were hard to drag away. You seemed to want to stay there and die with your coat.' "'They laughed at me for wearing that coat when we started away.' They said a hunter never bothered himself with extra clothing, he mused as they walked away from the terrible spot. Do you think it was the prayer? asked the girl suddenly. It may be, said the man with wondering accent. Then quietly, thoughtfully, they mounted and rode onward. Their way, due east, led them around the shoulder of a hill. It was tolerably smooth, but they were obliged to go single file so there was very little talking done. It was nearly the middle of the afternoon, when all at once a sound reached them from below, a sound so new that it was startling. They stopped their horses and looked at each other. It was the faint sound of singing, wafted on the light breeze, singing that came in whiffs like a perfume, and then died out. Cautiously they guided their horses on around the hill, keeping close together now, it was plain they were approaching some human being or beings. No bird could sing like that. There were indistinct words to the music. They rounded the hillside and stopped again side by side. There below them lay the trail for which they had been searching, and just beneath them, nestled against the hill, was a little schoolhouse of logs, weather-boarded, its windows open, and behind it and around it were horses tied, some of them hitched to wagons, but most of them were saddles. The singing was clear and distinct now. They could hear the words, Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. What is it? she whispered. Why, I suspect it is a Sunday school or something of the kind. Oh, a school. Could we go in? If you like, said the man, enjoying her simplicity, we can tie our horses here behind the building, and they can rest. There is fresh grass in this sheltered place. See? He led her down behind the schoolhouse to a spot where the horses could not be seen from the trail. The girl peered curiously around the corner into the window. There sat two young girls about her own age, and one of them smiled at her. It seemed an invitation. She smiled back and went on to the doorway, reassured. When she entered the room, she found them pointing to a seat near a window, behind a small desk. There were desks all over the room, at regular intervals, and a larger desk up in front. Almost all the people sat at desks. There was a curious wooden box in front at one side of the big desk, and a girl sat before it, pushing down some black and white strips that looked like sticks, and making her feet go, and singing with all her might. The curious box made music, the same music the people were singing. Was it a piano, she wondered? She had heard of pianos. Her father used to talk about them. Oh, and what was that that her mother used to want? A cabinet organ. Perhaps this was a cabinet organ. At any rate, she was entranced with the music. Up behind the man who sat at the big desk was a large board painted black with some white marks on it. The sunlight glinted across it, and she could not tell what they were, but 
When she moved a little, she saw quite clearly it was a large cross with the words underneath it, He will hide me. It was a strange place. The girl looked around shyly and felt submerged in the volume of song that rolled around her, from voices untrained, perhaps, but hearts that knew whereof they sang. To her it was heavenly music, if she had the least conception of what such music was like. Glory, glory, glory. The words seemed to fit the day and the sunshine and the deliverance that had come to her so recently. She looked around for her companion and deliverer to enjoy it with him, but he had not come in yet. The two girls were handing her a book now and pointing to the place. She could read. Her mother had taught her just a little, before the other children were born, but not much in the way of literature had ever come in her way. She grasped the book eagerly, hungrily, and looked where the finger pointed. Yes, there were the words, Glory for me, glory for me. Did that mean her? Was there glory for her anywhere in the world? She sighed with the joy of the possibility as the glory song rolled along, led by the enthusiasm of one who had recently come from a big city where it had been sung in a great revival service. Some kind friend had given some copies of a leaflet containing it and a few other new songs to this little handful of Christians, and they were singing them as if they had been a thousand strong. The singing ceased, and the man at the big desk said, Let us have the verses. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, said a careworn woman in the front seat. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust, said a young man next. In the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, read the girl who had handed the book. The slip of paper she had written it on fluttered to the floor at the feet of the stranger, and the stranger stooped and picked it up, offering it back. But the other girl shook her head, and the stranger kept it, looking wonderingly at the words, trying to puzzle out a meaning. There were other verses repeated, but just then a sound smote upon the girl's ear, which deadened all others. In spite of herself, she began to tremble. Even her lips seemed to her to move with the weakness of her fear. She looked up, and the man was just coming toward the door. But her eyes grew dizzy, and a faintness seemed to come over her. Up the trail on horseback, with shouts and ribald songs, rode four rough men, too drunk to know where they were going. The little schoolhouse seemed to attract their attention as they passed, and just for deviltry they shouted out a volley of oaths and vile talk to the worshippers within. One in particular, the leader, looked straight into the face of the young man as he returned from fastening the horses and was about to enter the schoolhouse, and pretended to point his pistol at him, discharging it immediately into the air. This was the signal for some wild firing as the men rode on past the schoolhouse, leaving a train of curses behind them to haunt the air and struggle with the glory song in the memories of those who heard. The girl looked out from her seat beside the window and saw the evil face of the man from whom she had fled. She thought for a terrible minute, which seemed ages long to her, that she was cornered now. She began to look about on the people there helplessly and wonder whether they would save her, would help her in her time of need, 
would they be able to fight and prevail against those four terrible men mad with liquor suppose he said she was his his wife perhaps or sister who had run away what could they do would they believe her would the man who had saved her life a few minutes ago believe her would anybody help her the party passed and the man came in and sat down beside her quietly enough but without a word or a look he knew at once who the man was he had just seen his soul trembled for the girl and his anger rose hot he felt that a man like that ought to be wiped off the face of the earth in some way or placed in solitary confinement the rest of his life he looked down at the girl trembling brave white beside him and he felt like gathering her in his arms and hiding her himself such a frail brave courageous little soul she seemed but the calm nerve with which she had shot the serpent was gone now he saw she was trembling and ready to cry then he smiled upon her a smile the like of which he had never given to human being before at least not since he was a tiny baby and smiled confidingly into his mother's face something in that smile was like sunshine to a nervous chill hiding she could understand she had been hidden in her time of trouble someone had done it he the word would fit the man by her side for he had helped to hide her and to save her more than once but just now there came a dim perception that it was some other he someone greater who had worked this miracle and saved her once more to go on perhaps to better things there were many things said in that meeting good and wise and true they might have been helpful to the girl if she had understood but her thoughts had much to do one grain of truth she had gathered for her future use there was a hiding somewhere in this world and she had had it in a time of trouble one moment more out upon the open and the terrible man might have seen her there came a time of prayer in which all heads were bowed and a voice here and there murmured a few soft little words which she did not comprehend but at the close they all joined in the prayer and when she heard the words our father she closed her eyes which had been curiously open and watching and joined her voice softly with the rest somehow it seemed to connect her safety with our father and she felt a stronger faith than ever in her prayer the young man listened intently to all he heard there was something strangely impressive to him in this simple worship out in what to him was a vast wilderness he felt more of the true spirit of worship than he had ever felt at home sitting in the handsomely upholstered pew beside his mother and sister while the choir boys chanted the processional and the light filtered through costly windows of many colors over the large and cultivated congregation there was something about the words of these people that went straight to the heart more than all the intonings of the cultured voices he had ever heard truly they meant what they said and god had been a reality to them in many a time of trouble that seemed to be the theme of the afternoon the saving power of the eternal god made perfect through the need and the trust of his people he was reminded more than once of the incident of the morning and the miraculous saving of his own and his companion's life when the meeting was over the people gathered in groups and talked with one another 
the girl who had handed the book came over and spoke to the strangers putting out her hand pleasantly she was the missionary's daughter what is this school asked the stranger eagerly yes this is the schoolhouse said the missionary's daughter but this meeting is christian endeavor do you live near here can't you come every time no i live a long way off said the girl sadly that is i did i don't live anywhere now i'm going away i wish you lived here then you could come to our meeting did you have a christian endeavor where you lived no i never saw one before it's nice i like it another girl came up now and put out her hand in greeting you must come again she said politely i don't know said the visitor i, I shan't be coming back soon are you going far as far as i can i'm going east oh said the inquisitor and then seeing the missionary's daughter was talking to someone else she whispered nodding toward the man is he your husband the girl looked startled while a slow color mounted into her cheeks no she said gravely thoughtfully but he saved my life a little while ago oh said the other awestruck my and ain't he handsome how did he do it but the girl could not talk about it she shuddered it was a dreadful snake she said and i was i didn't see it it was awful i can't tell you about it my said the girl how terrible the people were passing out now the man was talking with the missionary asking the road to somewhere the girl suddenly realized that this hour of preciousness was over and life was to be faced again those men those terrible men she had recognized the others as having been among her brother's funeral train where were they and why had they gone that way were they on her track had they any clue to her whereabouts would they turn back pretty soon and catch her when the people were gone home it appeared that the nearest town was malta sixteen miles away down in the direction where the party of men had passed there were only four houses near the schoolhouse and they were scattered in different directions along the stream in the valley the two stood still near the door after the congregation had scattered the girl suddenly shivered as she looked down the road she seemed again to see the coarse face of the man she feared and to hear his loud laughter and oaths what if he should come back again i cannot go that way she said pointing down the trail toward malta i would rather die with wild beasts no said the man with decision on no account can we go that way was that the man you ran away from yes she looked up at him her eyes filled with wonder over the way in which he had coupled his lot with hers poor little girl he said with deep feeling you would be better off with the beasts come let us hurry away from here they turned sharply away from the trail and followed down behind a family who were almost out of sight around the hill there would be a chance of getting some provisions the man thought the girl thought of nothing except to get away they rode hard and soon came within hailing distance of the people ahead of them and asked a few questions no there were no houses to the north until you were over the canadian line and the trail was hard to follow few people went that way most went down to malta why didn't they go to malta there was a road there and stores 
It was by all means the best way. Yes, there was another house about twenty miles away on this trail. It was a large ranch, and was near to another town that had a railroad. The people seldom came this way, as there were other places more accessible to them. The trail was little used, and might be hard to find in some places, but if they kept the Cottonwood Creek in sight, and followed on to the end of the valley, and then crossed the bench to the right, they would be in sight of it, and couldn't miss it. It was a good twenty miles beyond their house, but if the travelers didn't miss the way, they might reach it before dark. Yes, the people could supply a few provisions at their house, if the strangers didn't mind taking what was at hand. The man in the wagon tried his best to find out where the two were going, and what they were going for, but the man from the east baffled his curiosity in a most dexterous manner, so that when the two rode away from the two-roomed log house where the kind-hearted people lived, they left no clue to their identity or mission, beyond the fact that they were going quite a journey, and had got a little off their trail and run out of provisions. They felt comparatively safe from pursuit for a few hours at least, for the men could scarcely return and trace them very soon. They had not stopped to eat anything, but all the milk they could drink had been given to them, and its refreshing strength was racing through their veins. They started upon their long ride with the pleasure of their companionship strong upon them. "'What was it all about?' asked the girl as they settled into a steady gait after a long gallop across a smooth, level place. He looked at her questioningly. "'The school. What did it mean?' She said it was a Christian endeavor. What is that? Why, some sort of a religious meeting, or something of that kind, I suppose, he answered lamely. Did you enjoy it? Yes, she answered solemnly. I liked it. I never went to such a thing before. The girl said they had one everywhere, all over the world. What do you think she meant? Why, I don't know, I'm sure, unless it's some kind of a society but it looked to me like a prayer meeting. I've heard about prayer meetings, but I never went to one, though I never supposed they were so interesting. That was a remarkable story that old man told of how he was taken care of that night among the Indians. He evidently believes that prayer helps people. Don't you? she asked quickly. Oh, certainly, he said, but there was something so genuine about the way the old man told it that it made you feel it in a new way. It is all new to me, said the girl, but mother used to go to Sunday school and church and prayer meeting. She often told me about it. She used to sing sometimes. One song was Rock of Ages. Did you ever hear that? Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. She said it slowly and in a sing-song voice, as if she were measuring the words off to imaginary notes. I thought about that the night I started. I wished I knew where that rock was. Is there a rock anywhere that they call the Rock of Ages? The young man was visibly embarrassed. He wanted to laugh, but he would not hurt her in that way again. He was not accustomed to talking religion, yet here by this strange girl's side it seemed perfectly natural that he, who knew so very little experimentally himself about it, should be trying to explain the rock of ages to a soul in need. All at once it flashed upon him that it was for just such souls in need as this one that the rock of ages came into the world. I've heard the song. 
Yes, I think they sing it in all churches. It's quite common. No, there isn't any place called Rock of Ages. It refers, that is, I believe, why, you see, the thing is figurative, that is, a kind of picture of things. It refers to the deity. Oh, who is that? asked the girl. Why, God. He tried to say it as if he had been telling her it was Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones, but somehow the sound of the word on his lips thus shocked him. He did not know how to go on. It just means that God will take care of people. Oh, she said, and this time a light of understanding broke over her face. But, she added, I wish I knew what it meant, the meeting, and why they did it. There must be some reason. They wouldn't do it for nothing. And how do they know it's all so? Where did they find it out? The man felt he was beyond his depth, so he sought to change his subject. I wish you would tell me about yourself, he said gently. I should like to understand you better. We have traveled together for a good many hours now, and we ought to know more about each other. What do you want to know? She asked it gravely. There isn't much to tell but what I've told you. I've lived on a mountain all my life and helped mother. The rest all died. The baby first, and my two brothers, and father, and mother, and then John. I said the prayer for John and ran away. Yes, but I want to know about your life. You know I live in the East where everything is different. It's all new to me out here. I want to know, for instance, how you came to talk so well. You don't talk like a girl that never went to school. You speak as if you had read and studied. You make so few mistakes in your English. You speak quite correctly. That is not usual, I believe, when people have lived all their lives away from school, you know. You don't talk like the girls I have met since I came out here. Father always made me speak right. He kept at every one of us children when we said a word wrong and made us say it over again. It made him angry to hear words said wrong. He made Mother cry once when she said done, when she ought to have said did. Father went to school once, but Mother only went a little while. Father knew a great deal, and when he was sober, he used to teach us things once in a while. He taught me to read. I can read anything I ever saw. Did you have many books and magazines? He asked innocently. We had three books, she answered proudly as if that were a great many. One was a grammar. Father bought it for mother before they were married, and she always kept it wrapped up in paper carefully. She used to get it out for me to read in sometimes, but she was very careful with it, and when she died, I put it in her hands. I thought she would like to have it close to her, because it always seemed so much to her. You see, father bought it. Then there was an almanac and a book about stones and earth. A man who was hunting for gold left that. He stopped overnight at our house and asked for something to eat. He hadn't any money to pay for it, so he left that book with us and said when he found the gold, he would come and buy it back again. But he never came back. Is that all that you have ever read? He asked compassionately. Oh, no. We got papers sometimes. Father would come home with a whole paper wrapped around some bundle. Once there was a beautiful story about a girl, but the paper was torn in the middle, and I never knew how it came out. 
there was great wistfulness in her voice. It seemed to be one of the regrets of her girlhood that she did not know how that other girl in the story fared. All at once she turned to him. Now, tell me about your life, she said. I'm sure you have a great deal to tell. His face darkened in a way that made her sorry. Oh, well, said he, as if it mattered very little about his life. I had a nice home. Have yet, for the matter of that. Father died when I was little, and Mother let me do just about as I pleased. I went to school because the other fellows did, and because that was the thing to do. After I grew up, I liked it. That is, I liked some studies, so I went to a university. What is that? Oh, just a higher school where you learn grown-up things. Then I traveled. When I came home, I went into society a good deal, but, and his face darkened again, I got tired of it all and thought I would come out here for a while and hunt, and I got lost, and I found you. He smiled into her face. Now you know the rest. Something passed between them in that smile and glance, a flash of the recognition of souls and a gladness in each other's company that made the heart warm. They said no more for some time, but rode quietly side by side. They had come to the end of the valley and were crossing the bench. The distant ranch could quite distinctly be seen. The silver moon had come up, for they had not been hurrying, and a great beauty pervaded everything. They almost shrank from approaching the buildings and people. They had enjoyed the ride and the companionship. Every step brought them nearer to what they had known all the time was an indistinct future from which they had been joyously shut away for a little time till they might know each other. End of chapter 6